so part of this comes back to like listening to the heart of the father but i yeah i have the real sense and i'm not the only one but i think about it a lot that like the people that i'm on this earth with carry shame in a really heavy way mm-hmm. and the message of jesus to them it doesn't need to be like hammering them on the head about their sin yeah like they they know what that feels like in their body yeah it's good news to them that Jesus doesn't want them to feel shame yeah. and that Jesus wants to redeem the parts of them that feel really ugly and hidden. Mm-hmm. And for someone to love them enough to say, not only am I not afraid of the dark and ugly parts of you, I would be willing to share mine with you so that you can see the power of Jesus Christ. Right. I mean, there is nothing more powerful to hear than your darkness is no worse than mine. Yeah. And I don't have to sit in it anymore because somebody pulled me out. And that exact same somebody wants to pull you out too. That's, you know, that's good news. That's the gospel. Welcome back. Um, It's been a while since we've done an Instagram Live episode, um, and I'm thrilled to say that we are back at it um, with our pal, Jesse Horney, um, who's going to talk to us about our missional purpose. So settle in, get some water, perhaps your blanket. I have a blanket today because it's really cold in my house. Um, And then we're going to just get started. So we've been talking about... um, and spending time in our season called our series called La Familia, um, explaining what it looks like to actually function and own our place within the family of God. Um, it's been really clarifying, at least for me, on all things micro church and spiritual parenting, and how to really be a part of the family of God um, in our own small context. And if you missed any of those past sermons, um, you can revisit any episode on the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have lingering questions about the idea of church family, missional purpose, calling, micro church, etc., you can always um, DM us those questions um, and we will get back to you and I will probably steal them for these Instagram lives. Um, also, For those of you watching live, you can type a question in the chat below, and we would love to talk about that too today. So if you were like me and you missed Sunday, here's what you need to know to catch up on what we're going to be talking about today. Um, So on Sunday, Jesse walked us through the familiar language of calling in a way that asks us to re-examine the word. Beginning with the question, does my life remind people of Jesus? And examining the kinds of stories Jesus tells when detailing our collective calling, Jesse lays out our missional purpose in the world, to remove the heavy garment of shame from those around us. She reminds us that when we learn that we're beloved, we have room to believe in the belovedness of others, creating unlikely relationships with those in our sphere of influence. And here's a quote to get us in the mindset for what we're going to be talking about today from Jesse. Uh, These stories are an invitation to the religious leaders to repent, a challenge to change our thinking and believe something new about what people are worth 
and it's an invitation to us to rethink the notorious sinners in our lives and to accept Jesus's invitation not to care for ourselves, but to care for the one. Um, and we're going to hone in on that today. So we're going to get Jesse in. And hey, Jesse. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going, my friends? How are you? Uh, doing pretty well. Sitting here enjoying the beautiful sun coming through my window. Wishing I could live. It's warm, but not quite. I really, truly am I'm like a cat. <laughs> we'll always bask in the sunlight. Yeah. What are you doing, Albert? Clean up my a mess? Okay. It's been. Okay. Great. You good? Can you hear me? All right. Cool. Can you hear me now? Are we back? Yeah. Cool. I kept getting phone calls and I forgot to put my phone on do not disturb. And anyways, it's been a while since we've done one of these and I'm just going to blame it on that. <laughs> so... Anyways, Jesse, hey, hey. Uh, let's talk about missional purpose. Let's do it. You know, I love to. Um, so first of all, I just loved what we had to say on Sunday. Um, it really hit home for me with a lot of things that I've been thinking about lately. Um, and I'm so excited to talk to you. So we're going to get started um, with a quote that you said um, and then talk about it a little bit. Uh, so you said our calling has lost its edge because we keep repeating these words we don't actually understand, which feels very true. Um, and I feel like it's something that we do a lot in Christianity anyways, is like we just say phrases a bunch of times and we mm -hmm. just don't mm -hmm. really know what we're saying. Mm -hmm. um, and I think especially with calling, it feels very much like this like thing that we're supposed to uncover. And if we don't uncover it, then our life is ruined. Um, you know, we are on like plan B or C or W of our life because we like couldn't figure out our calling. Um, so I'd love to hear from you. Like what's been your journey with that word called, um, mm. gave some beautiful examples of the way that you've lived out your calling throughout your life. Um, but I'd love to hear like what, what that whole journey has been like for you. Okay. Well, I was born in 1986 Great. on a cold. <laughs> so much of this really truly started to sort itself out because of some classes that I've had to take in seminary and the seminary that I attend, you have to answer this thing that they call the central integration question. You have to answer it when you apply and then you have to answer it like once or twice a year until you're done with school. And I wrote it down because this has like really changed the idea of calling for me. It says, at this point in your journey, how do you envision your call to God's mission in the world? Hmm. At this point 
in your journey, how do you envision your call to God's mission in the world? And there's a couple of things I really like about that. One is that it starts with at this point in your journey. Mm -hmm. And we tend to think of a call as this definitive, like line in the sand, God's voice from heaven, and you, you never look back. But first of all, that's not true. It's not biblical. Like following God's mission is answering the call like that's the thing that never changes mm -hmm. but the way that you do it will change plan a plan b plan c because you'll change yeah so that was really helpful to think of it not on like a linear route but more like circuitous where am i right now um but then it also asks you to define well okay what's god's mission to the world god's mission to the world is that everyone would know God's love and be transformed because of it and that as a collective there would be like a redemption of all, all of us right mm -hmm. that is the call that everyone follows and I you had told me like well it kind of bothers me that you said that everyone has the same call because I'm an independent person and I know what you mean that doesn't feel very special God's mission doesn't change but the way that you join that mission Mission mm -hmm. is so unique yeah. to you mm -hmm. so that was a big part of it for me and then i wrote down some other things um so part of what i've had to do at school is take the clifton strength test these are like yeah. these are actual practical examples of like working out a calling because i don't just think it's some like i hope god sends me a dream there's really things you can do so the clifton strength test that costs 50 dollars. it's kind of expensive but it's worth it it gives you a very comprehensive truly what you might be called to do because of it. Yeah. And then um, the other thing that I had to do was take an APES test. So I, um, like, what is that? That's the five fold gifting in the new oh, Testament okay. church. So apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, and the Bible says, we're all gifted in these things, mm -hmm. but one of them is going to have the volume turned up for you. Probably two will have the volume turned up for you. So that's a really helpful thing to see too when you're thinking about your calling and like God's mission is that he gifted you to be one of those things. Yeah. So your strengths and your weaknesses and the thing that's turned up in you as an apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, or teacher will combine to really show you mm -hmm. like, what would this look like practically for me? That makes sense. Sense. Oh, now I'm like dying to know. Do, can you tell us what your strengths are? I just want to know. Oh, yeah. Uh, I should ask Robert because we have like four of the five same strengths, which is so crazy. But which is really like such a small percentage yeah. that, that that would happen. Um, but the order is very different, like okay. how they play out. So um, I'm a strategist. I'm a, a connector. I'm boy, I don't know. Uh, I will, I work in the future. So I like can see things way sooner and way further than other people can. I can connect people really quickly and really deeply. I can find strategies to make things happen and I can like see it quickly. Yeah. I don't remember all the other ones. And then on the APAS, I'm, um, I think I was a shepherd and a prophet. That's yeah. yeah, like caring for people, but then also like a truth teller. Yeah. Cool. Robert's oh. ideation, futuristic includer. 
Robert, mine's connector, not includer. That was the different one for us. But what's the other two? Ideation, futuristic, strategic, and there's one more. Like type faster. Hurry, we only have but a moment. So yeah, that was, and then in, in the Clifton Strength Test, it also does like a lot of um, connecting the dots for you. Like mm. if this is your strength, this is your weakness here's a growth point for you mm. so finding growth points and then taking all that information to people that you trust and saying like what do you think this means is really helpful too for sure cool yeah ask and then oh last thing last thing to ask yourself when you're thinking about your calling mm -hmm. um because i use that buchner oh strategic and an activator yeah that's um for you i'll say all right Nothing's nothing slow in that list. I'll pass. <laughs> uh, I use a Buechner quote in the sermon, which is like really famous around calling that like your calling is where your uh, deep gladness meets the world's deep hunger. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people are so disconnected um, to their deep gladness. I have found a really helpful question to ask yourself is to think back in your childhood, like really early memories of when you felt deep joy mm. and deep gladness and pay attention to patterns that are in those memories. Like, were you alone? Or are you with people? Were you starting something or finishing something? What was the feel of where you were? Yeah. Because probably there's elements in that situation for you as a kid that are still true, but that you like got embarrassed about as a teenager and tried to leave behind or the world didn't like how you were acting it out because you were immature. So they kind of tried to hammer it out of you. But there's like, there's something that God put in you, Alyssa, really specifically that you probably saw as I, I'm with preschoolers. I see it in four and five year olds during the day. Like they haven't lost that deep gladness yet. The world has not nailed it <laughs> to the ground for them. So that's also a really helpful exercise. Mm -hmm. When was I glad when I was a kid? And what does that mean as an adult? Oh, I love that. That's good. I'm gonna write that down quick. What? What'd you say? Say it again. Um, when were you when glad as a child? Like, what brought you joy? And then look at the situation around it and try to piece the elements and the patterns together. Were you alone? Were you with people? Was it people you knew? Was it strangers? Was it like for me in my childhood? I was really happy to like I had a lot of big ideas and I love to invite people into it. I didn't like some people have big ideas and they want to charge ahead, but I loved having people involved even as a little girl. Mm -hmm. Like it was my, it was going to be my imagination that drove the yeah. play. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Me too. I was the same way, <laughs> like little plays with my, out with my extended family and like give them all parts and I would direct them. Cause See? it was like, I was myself. Y'all got to be here with me. We're going to all be <laughs> uh -huh. It's going to be Love so it. fun. Um, great. Thank you. That's really good and practical things to actually think about. So thank mm -hmm. Um, So thinking about uh, the line of like, we have, we all have the same calling. Um, we're going into mission together. Um, you said, where is God inviting us as a community to step in? Um, and this feels just like really vulnerable, vulnerable to like share what your like 
like lost coin is and to ask people to like walk in it with you mm -hmm. and then also like choosing to step into other people's um journeys and missions and like work together so can you talk about a little bit of that shift of looking for other people's lost coins as opposed to just like only thinking about our our own in our own life um and then what changes would you say have to happen in us for us to be open to that well what what makes you feel like that's a vulnerable position to be in like tell me a little more about that i guess i'm just thinking like in terms of like we want dependent so mm -hmm. we either we just like don't really want to be connected with other people or like for me whenever i'm having like an issue or a problem or something i'm working through my usually i want to just like deal with it by myself mm -hmm. and not like ask for help mm -hmm. so that's why that's the thing for me that feels vulnerable about it because asking for help means that you needed help right and needing help means what for you uh i guess that like you couldn't i couldn't do it by myself mm -hmm. that lack of is that like lack, lack of enoughness like i wasn't enough to do it mm -hmm. and i have to like ask other people to help me mm, yeah yeah um the pastor at my old church jim he the way he defined humility I, i've always clung to and said to myself a lot that humility isn't feeling really bad all, all the time. It's the definition is it's a right estimation of oneself. Mm. Like full stop. So the right estimation of myself would be, I can't do this alone, but I do have things to offer. Yeah. That's humility, not like I'm a piece of trash. Right, right. Because I can't do this alone. So part of it is a step of maturity and humility. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, I kept using the word broadening in the sermon on Sunday. And there really is this sense that when Jesus came, the way that he spoke about his ministry was very startling to Jews and non-Jews because like he was very focused on the Jews and he said, you know, I came I came for the family of Israel first, and then you guys have to go and do this second. But what he was really doing that surprised people was like recognizing family in the most broad sense possible in a time when family was your protection and family was everything. And it wasn't just your nuclear family. It was like anyone related to you and connected to you that was your tribe and so what he was asking the people to do was more vulnerable than you and i could could even really understand because that's not how we live yeah. but he was asking them to do something like kind of dangerous mm -hmm. but there is still that twinge inside of us that like it does feel a little dangerous yeah you know and it does feel like you're putting yourself in a risky position mm -hmm. so i think on some level, it's believing what Jesus said about family mm. and that, like, I mean, my, my little sister and I, all my sisters and I, all my siblings and I <laughs> are, this has been something that we've trained ourselves in. And you'll know it when you meet us. Like, if someone meets me and says, I don't, 
I don't know very many people or we don't have many connections. I'm like, well, buckle up because <laughs> you're about to meet my six siblings and you'll never be alone. So I hope that's what you wanted, you know? And if one of them calls and says, tells me about someone they love, a stranger that I don't know, and says, would you help me take care of this thing for this person? For us, it's just like, that's your person. So that's my person too. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it's just like this expanded lens on who are our people, yeah. who deserves our time. Hmm. So I guess that's, that's something to think about. What do I think about myself and what do I believe about other people and start there? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I like that. Um, all right. So pivoting a little bit, um, recently i've got to just like listen to you teach in many contexts um which has been great um <laughs> you've been we've been talking a lot about um that simple and impossible mission of god um and that idea has just like lodged itself into my brain um that what god is asking us to do is always like the most simple thing and also the most impossible thing um, and I'd love to just have you talk more about that, um, more about what you mean by that. Why is it a big deal? Um, as, like in our context of both like America where nothing seems simple, um, and then just like our ordinary lives, just like mm -hmm. it. I think you can put it almost in the context of miracles like the word miracle has a pretty heavy religious sense behind it but what what you're describing is a miracle simple and impossible you know i could go to a lot of doctors i could spend a lot of money if i'm thinking about a physical miracle mm -hmm. or a simple thing could happen i could just be healed yeah but it's impossible that's talking on you know like a grand scale of what we believe to be impossible but there's also this idea of putting yourself in a position where you need the miracle hmm. so um yeah a story i share a lot is about like our house the house that we live in when we sold our house in nampa this is like a really practical example yeah we yeah. we knew we didn't didn't know where we wanted to live and um it was some like a time in our lives when sam and i were really wanting to practice depending on god for things instead of just taking care of it ourselves this was one of the first times that we really tried and so we decided to pray we want we want to live in a house that we could never explain hmm. just like we want it to be a story that our kids carry with them you know and this was at a time when like houses were selling. I mean, our house sold in half an hour, you know, like mm -hmm. everyone was selling their house for any money they wanted. And we were looking at all these houses in Meridian that we just didn't like. We ended up renting our own house back for a long time. And then we found this house and you've been in my house and it's like a really beautiful neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And it was a, a short sale. Like the money that this house sold for was maybe $100,000 less than it was worth at least. Yeah. And no one was doing that then. Yeah. And, and it was simple, but impossible. But because we had decided we're not gonna 
do this our way. We're not going to like get up to the tip top of our budget into a house that we can barely afford that we don't even really love. We're just going to see what God does. Mm. And that was it. And it was like a long time. We had to wait. It was the way that God does things, which is slow. Oh, slow. But now we can tell her and everyone that comes in, I'm like, they're like, wow, your house is beautiful. And I say, let me tell you about how we bought this house that we never could have bought that mm-hmm. many years ago in our lives. Yeah. So like the tricky part of some of that idea of the simple but impossible is that we have to stop ourselves from planning and we have to stop ourselves from scheming. Mm-hmm. And you, you see this all over the Bible too. Like, you know, people start scheming for how to make things happen, how they're going to win the battle, how they're going to get out of slavery, how they're going to kill this person to get their way. And the second that humans start scheming in any way, even if it's not like evil, yeah, it's just scheming like, how are we going to save this money? And how are we going to our favor? We lock God out of the equation. And he's like, you know what? Go ahead. Like, and he kind of gives us because we have free will, he says, go ahead, like, and then you get what you schemed for, and it is never as good as what God was going to give you, yeah. ever. It will always be more. So putting yourself in a position for a miracle and stopping yourself from the scheming and the planning that comes really naturally to us takes practice and, like, being really intentional and taking a risk, you know? It is, it's risky. I wouldn't say it's not. Yeah. Yeah, I that makes me think of the um, pastor of the church I went to in college once said this thing that was like, we often are like praying that we would like see God work a miracle. But mm-hmm. he was, how often do we actually like live in a way that allows for one? Mm-hmm. You know, like, we're like, you know what, we'll pray for this miracle. But actually, we're just gonna we have a plan ready to go. Yeah, backup plan, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. We, we really believe in ourselves. Mm-hmm. We really do. Yeah. It's, we're taught to, it's in us. It, it takes like, essentially to me, that's the definition of faith is that I stop trusting myself and I start trusting something outside of myself. Mm-hmm. And for some reason that feels a lot harder than trusting myself, even though the things that I do, I don't even like most of the time. The fruit of it, I'm like, oh my gosh, why did I do that? And then next time I'm like, you know who I should trust is me. I think I'll do it different this time. It's so insane. Yeah. And we keep doing it. Yeah, I'm the same way. Yeah. Um, Wow, I love that. Um, Okay, so one more question for you. Um, I want to talk a little bit about shame before we go. Um, I was thinking of, oh, I just love that story. It was sort of a story about how the the one about shame and if we see like a child and of co- who's like feeling shame, of course, we would like lean in towards the child and we would be moved. Um, and you said, that's the heart of God in you. That's the kingdom come. That's us agreeing with God on his mission and wanting in on the work. How can I be a part of the work that lifts shame off of someone's shoulders? Mm. And I just think that that is like so poignant. Um, And it's such a different way of thinking about mission. Um, So I think a lot of times we hear like missional purpose and we're like, okay, gotta like go evangelize, which is like, you know, important and not bad, but never. And I've never heard it in that context of like, where the 
the gospel is lifting shame off people's shoulders. Mm -hmm. Um, so can you just talk about like that distinction, um, about shame and like why shame is actually the enemy of our purpose? Hmm. Yeah. Well, there's this really important idea of when Jesus, you know, the New Testament talks about this a lot. The, the New Testament church talked about it a lot. That one thing Jesus did on the cross was scorn shame. Mm. And so we know that shame is something to be scorned. It's not something to be used as a tool or a weapon. And I mean, part of why it feels poignant to you and part of why it comes naturally to me as evangelism is because we're being raised in a generation where the word shame is like part of the zeitgeist, you know, like largely because of Brene Brown putting it in front of all of us and teaching us about shame. Yeah. yeah. And that has become a widely enough used idea that when I, when we see people who are hurting or people who are acting out, we know because honestly, because we've been taught that part of that is shame. Mm-hmm. And maybe like the context of shame as evangelism wouldn't have been as powerful 20, 40, 50 years ago. They had their own language, but yeah. we see Jesus do this. And so we know that we're meant to do it is to contextualize evangelism, mm-hmm. like contextualize mm-hmm. the mission. There, There is a texture to the generations that are walking earth right now that belongs to this generation. In a hundred years, will all be replaced and evangelism will have like a different push to it it's always the same mission that people would be redeemed and that they would know that god is their father and their king but jesus did different things for different people all the time he tells a rich young ruler to go and sell everything if he wants to follow him he doesn't say that to everybody his ministry is supported by rich women he wasn't telling them to sell everything you know yeah some people he healed and he was like go to the priest tell everyone what i did some people he healed and he was like don't tell anybody about it yeah he understood what was to be done in that particular situation and so part of this comes back to like listening to the heart of the father but i yeah i have the real sense and i'm not the only one but i think about it a lot that like the people that I'm on this earth with carry shame in a really heavy way. Mm-hmm. And the message of Jesus to them, it doesn't need to be like hammering them on the head about their sin. Yeah. Like they, they know what that feels like in their body. Yeah. It's good news to them that Jesus doesn't want them to feel shame. Yeah. And that Jesus wants to redeem the parts of them that feel really ugly and hidden. Mm-hmm. And for someone to love them enough to say, not only am I not afraid of the dark and ugly parts of you, I would be willing to share mine with you so that you can see the power of Jesus Christ. Right. I mean, there is nothing more powerful to hear than your darkness is no worse than mine. Yeah. And I don't have to sit in it anymore because somebody pulled me out. And that exact same somebody wants to pull you out too. That's, you know, that's good news. That's the gospel. Oh yeah. It's so good. That made me, so Tim, I think I'm pretty sure it's Tim Keller. He has this thing where he says that like, we have to, he, he says like the dots to connect with like spreading the gospel used to be like, repent of your sin. Hell is real. 
all of these things, right? Mm -hmm. You want to go to heaven, don't you? Mm -hmm. Blah, blah, blah. And then he has this, he said, like, we can't connect those dots anymore because those aren't the dots. Mm -hmm. He was like, we just, exactly. don't, we just don't have those dots anymore. Yeah. So we have to find different dots. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's what made me think of while you were talking, like, that, like, you are free from shame is mm -hmm. such a big dot in this yeah. cultural context, you know? And yeah. And, pe and people will say to me, like, I can't evangelize to my friends because they don't believe in sin. Right. And that's, that is true. Like, there's a very strong shift away from any sort of, like, moral servitude. Mm -hmm. But what I always push back with is they might not want to name it sin, but boy, do they know what shame feels like. And it yes. is suffocating. Mm -hmm. you don't need to convince them that they've sinned. You just need to ask them how they feel. Yeah. And with any level of honesty and vulnerability in yourself, in your relationship, like it's so quick to come. Shame is so fast. I mean, the devil loves it. It's not like we need to conjure it up. So yeah, yeah that, that to me is like, that's a new dot. That's, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. And that whole, like, you know, just, especially with shame, you just want to, yeah. Satan just loves to be like, you just sit over there in it. All mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And Brene Brown talks about it too, outside the context of, you know, like it's not in a religious context, but she talks about how like shame. No. Oh, uh, shoot. I'm trying to remember what it is. It's like solitude is the Petri dish for shame. Like, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. shame in there and you're all alone, it's just going to make it so much worse. But when you bring mm -hmm. yourself into it, it, like, is the only way that it can heal. Mm, yeah. That's so good. Yeah. No, well, and like another, I think you're bringing up another really important part of understanding what people need right now is that, like, it's, we're isolated. Mm -hmm. So in 1952, people felt lonely, but they weren't necessarily isolated. They weren't in their house all the time. You know, they weren't on screens. Yeah. But that is part of people's pain, is that they have no connection. Yeah. So the idea of a savior who not only will lift shame off their shoulders, but will do it through connection is like, yeah, you know, yeah. They've, never, they've never had it. Right. Or that I'm willing to connect with them. Yeah, it's just, once you see, like, name the problem, here's the solution but it's really important to name the current problem yeah yep yeah and like what you said just having somebody say how do you like how do you feel about that like yeah how are you feeling and mm -hmm. having the mm -hmm. genuine connection mm -hmm. yeah that's so good well that's a great spot to end do you have anything else you'd like to say before we depart um, no, I guess one thing is that if, if people really are like, what am I doing with my calling and how do I know when God's speaking to me? Uh, I was just telling my kids this the other day, but because my daughter's always like, well, how do you know if God's speaking? It always just sounds like me. <laughs> it sounds like my thoughts. And I said, well, you just answered your own questions. If it sounds just like your thoughts, it is your thoughts. 
and those aren't bad. But if it sounds like something a little hard or a little risky or a little bit impossible, I would just like get curious about that thing because it's probably not you because we don't like to be uncomfortable mm-hmm. and we don't like to take risks. We, we don't tell ourselves to do those things. It's hard for us. So if that even like nudges, just like pause and, and be curious about it and ask God to confirm it through scripture or friends or even yeah. just like a deeper understanding of it. So yeah, that, God is speaking. God is speaking. Yeah. And learning to listen is a lifelong journey. Mm-hmm. Amen. So, yeah. Thanks for talking. Thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah. I'm here. Good to be with you. Thank you everybody who jumped on here and listened. There's a, quite a few people jumping in. So love to see that. Um, and again, if you have more questions about this, you can put them in the comments. You can DM us um, on the Instagram and we will pass your questions to the appropriate person. And we'd love to talk with you. All right. Love you. Love you too. Have Bye. a good day, everyone. Bye. Bye, everybody. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org connection, where you can fill out the connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at Redemption Boise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.